0: Welcome to the Grounded Stylist Podcast, where mindfulness and the beauty industry meet. I'm your host, Brooke Kenyon, and I'm passionate about teaching stylists how to stay grounded behind the chair and cultivate their dream career in life. Join me weekly so we can grow and journey together as you learn tangible pathways to success while protecting your peace. We are here with Rory Savagian, a.k.a. Faded Inc. He is a husband, a father, a Navy vet, and a barber educator extraordinaire. So <laughs> I am super honored to have Rory here with us today and really just kind of talk about the world of barbering. And also, I've had the honor to know Rory um, in person. And so I've got a few questions to kind of just dig into how he stays so... Uh, So cool under pressure and handles all these different hats that he wears um, in the industry. So welcome, Rory. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, super excited to talk today. And the first thing, of course, we all want to know is, How did your story begin? Like, I personally have read a little bit about this. We've talked about this face to face. But, you know, our listeners always like to kind of hear where did you come from and how did you get into the barbering industry and then ultimately into education?
1: Uh, Well, I have a weird story. It was kind of on accident. I never really planned for this to happen. I started pretty young. Uh, 2023 marks my 30th year. Uh, working in the industry, uh, I started when I was fourteen. My aunt Carol, she bought a set of clippers for my cousin Anthony and I stole them. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't gonna use it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was the artist and... out, right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I actually cut hair on my uh, family and and you know the dare the friends of mine that were like, you know, gave me that little bit of trust in the beginning because I had no skills, no training whatsoever. Uh, in the house, in the kitchen, in the garage, in the bathroom, uh, 14 years old, freshman in high school. Uh, um, doing it. I used to look up to a lot of barbers like in my neighborhood growing up. There was, uh, you know, where I'm from in New Jersey, I was born in Teaneck, Teaneck, New Jersey. And it's like right outside of Manhattan, right outside of New York City, just across the George Washington Bridge. And in that area, you have a lot of influence from New York, yeah, because it's North Jersey. Right. People that live in the south part of Jersey. There's a heavy influence from Philadelphia. Right. Oh. So that's kind of how you can tell where people are from in New Jersey. If they say New Jersey, it's like north is like New York. South is like Philly. And so in my area, um, there was a lot of good barbers when I was a little, little kid. My grandfather used to take me to the barber shop, and it was like walk-in style barber shop. Very busy. There was two. It was called Gregory's. There was these two Italian barbers that worked in the shop, mm. Gregory and what was the other guy's name, Dennis. <laughs> and I always wanted to go to Gregory because Gregory yeah. was good. He was a, he owned the shop. He was a nice guy. He spoke more English than Dennis. Dennis he didn't speak any English. And uh, he would, he would like watch TV while he would cut your hair. So the haircuts were terrible.
0: No good. Gregory
1: on the other, (laughs) my grandfather always went to Gregory and I sometimes had to go to Dennis to save time. So I hated that. Uh, I never talked to (laughs) him. Yeah, he was, he was a mean, he was not mean, but he was just not the nicest guy. He wouldn't talk. And um, I, I got to see, you know, when you're waiting your turn, I got to see Barber's uh transform people like i seen people come in and sit down and they looked crazy and in that little time the barber had they transformed
0: yeah and
1: so i was fascinated by that Um, uh, my grand and you know you would sit there for a while before it was your turn so you got to see a bunch of different haircuts and this was something that i would do with my grandfather and he was the one who kind of introduced it to me and i never forget like the smell of the barber shop mm-hmm. you know the aftershave the clubman panade you know aftershave is something that any barber you know can remember that smell. And that was something that I remember in my childhood. Um, my aunt, she bought a set of clippers for my cousin Anthony. I don't know if she thought he was going to use them, but I stole them and I started cutting him and his two brothers. And like I said, I didn't have any education. Um, yeah. I left to the military right out of high school. Yeah. And in the military, they don't have the best barbers. And so when I wasn't working, um, I had a top secret clearance. I dealt with intelligence. Um, I was in the radio shack and when i wasn't working i was in the bathrooms uh cutting the other guys on my ship hair. <laughs> and and that's that's kind of how i got my hands into all different hair types cuz in the military you have all different types of people uh just not what you're used to in your own little town so i got to work with all different types of hair and that that's where i really started learning um how, how hair was different right. and how i can use different techniques but for the first part of my career i would say the first probably 10, at least 10 years, I really didn't even know how to use uh, scissors. Mm -hmm. I was just using longer guards, you know, and um, the haircuts, we weren't really worried about the top because we were shaving it all down pretty low anyway. Right. So it wasn't like I had that styling or that scissor work. I didn't get that so much later. Right. Um, When I got out of the military, uh, you know, I used my GI bill to pay for hair school. But I didn't do it right away. In New Jersey, where I'm from, you have you, at the time you had to go to beauty school. You couldn't go to barber school. They only had a cosmetology okay. license. Okay. So because of that, a lot of barbers cut hair illegally. Uh, the owner of the shop that I worked at didn't even have a license. He had a picture of his aunt's license on the wall. <laughs> and one day,
0: yeah, nobody in there. Really,
1: I, we had like six. We had like six barbers there, and only one barber had a license, oh, and wow. he had graduated from beauty school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so one day state board came and they fined three of the barbers that were working that day. Two hundred fifty dollar fine. Yeah. And that was for practicing with no license. Yeah. Now, if, if you got caught twice, it's a thousand dollar fine and up to 30 days in jail. So, yeah. yes, you can go to jail practicing with no license. Yeah. I came in. I didn't get caught. I came in the next week and I heard about it. And the owner had an application for beauty school on his station. And I said, oh, you know, do you have another one? Um, I want to go with you. Maybe we could take class together. And he was like, no, nah, take this one. I'll get another one. And I thought we were going to do the classes together. And he never ended up doing it. And I ended up doing it by myself. Right. And I used my GI Bill to pay for school. The school that I went to was uh, a little mom and pop beauty school that had been around for 30 years at that time. Uh, it was called Parisian Beauty Academy. But the year that I went, it became a Paul Mitchell school. Okay. And so I was the first graduating class of Paul Mitchell. They only had about three schools in the United States at the time. Wow. So I was like very, very early on in Paul Mitchell education. Yeah. And it was scary um, because I was one of the only guys in the school. Right. And they didn't really focus on anything that I needed. It was more so getting you prepared for state board, a lot of cosmetology focus, uh, barbering and short hair was like very, very minimal. If any, in fact, I, I was helping them at that time, help other people in my class with the shorter haircuts. Cause Mm -hmm. you had to do a, a, a haircut, um, a short haircut, um, a barber haircut, quote unquote. Right. And what was weird about New Jersey is that the state board was outdated. So, the first part of the exam, you had to do a 14 step shave with a straight razor for cosmetology. Mm-hmm. So, so stylists that have never used a straight razor before, right. that's the first thing that they had to do on their test. I know, right? And most of them would, they would mostly fail. Yeah, like that was something that, that was hard. You know, we would practice shaving on a balloon and things like that. Uh, but that was like the easy part for me. The hard part for me was like, all the roller sets and the perm rods and like doing all that kind of I'm stuff, you know, the curls.
0: <laughs> and back yeah. then, you probably had to do pin curls and finger waves.
1: Everything, yeah, yeah. Pin, all the all the classic stuff yeah. that's on cosmetology exams. Yep. yep, yep, yep. We had to do all of those things. Yeah, and uh, so I did it. I graduated. Um, I started in day school, and I was like not working. I left the full clientele to do it. And I couldn't I wasn't making money. So I kind of like stopped halfway through and I switched to part time, which was the night program. Yeah. And then at the end of the night program, like the very last part of it, I ended up switching back to day and finishing so I could get it done. But I needed to stop in the middle to, to actually make money because I was going broke wow. uh, with that schedule. Got my license, got recruited out of beauty school by the director of color for Paul Mitchell um wow. Colin Caruso yep. he uh he saw something in me uh recruited me to work at his salon this guy made 2 million dollars his first year in business with zero advertising wow in Hoboken New Jersey he had this beautiful uh, he still has it to this day a beautiful salon called Caru and mm-hmm. it was on the second floor of a building in Hoboken and they had no advertisement you know no 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 promotion no marketing And the way that they made their money was the entire team, including Colin, worked at another place for years and the owner wasn't running it right. Mm. And they ended up having this huge walkout and Colin ended up building his place and bringing board, you know, the best members of that team. And the reason why they were able to make so much money the first year was they had all those existing clients. They had that solid team. But now they had a better place to do it in and they followed all the systems that were taught at Paul Mitchell, all of the things that, you know, you don't think about, you know, as far as like, you know, the first initial experience that the guest has when they walk in and they meet the receptionist and then they go through all the different, you know, uh, steps of the process, you know working with certain artists that are specializing in color and certain artists that are specializing in long hair or cutting. And, you know, by the time they're done, they're, they're prescribed the proper, you know, regimen of take home products that they need to, you know, you know, maintain that look and they're rebooking their services. And he was just ahead with all of those systems. And I learned a lot from him and those team members at that salon, but I only lasted about two weeks before I quit because (laughs) I was, I was, uh, I was young and naive, and I, I was used to making money, right. and I had clients, and I gave up all of that to commute 45 minutes south, look for street parking, feed the meter, try to f- keep running out and making sure that I don't get ticketed right. while I'm not making any money because I'm brand new and I'm assisting, right. and the first day in the salon, Brooke, they had a girl with hair past her knees that I had to blow dry,
0: and you're like, and no, I, fucking no.
1: <laughs> I'm used to short. I'm used to short hair. So this was like the <laughs> yeah. scariest thing for me. Oh, right. And I was struggling and I had, you know, uh, there was another um, stylist that helped me do it. And, you know, I ended up quitting and going back to the barbershop. Yeah. And then in 2006, I ended up leaving New Jersey altogether, quit hair altogether. And I moved down to the Washington, D.C. area. And that's where I live now, right outside of D.C., right by the airport. Um, I live in northern Virginia now. But at the time I moved to Maryland and I was working with um, well, I was trying to get a job with a a buddy of mine who was in the military and he had a top secret clearance and he was doing security work. And so I came down for a different different change of pace, change of environment from New Jersey. You know, I feel like sometimes you got to leave what you're used to and make yourself a little uncomfortable so that you can grow. Yeah. And so that you can, you know, not be as distracted. And I think that was one of my big issues was even though I had left to the military, I came back home. Right. And when I came back home, I felt like I was going backwards. Yeah. So then when I left and I went down to, to the DC area, the DMV, where I'm at now, I felt like it was like something positive, something that I could look forward to, something that I could not be as distracted as if I was with my family and friends at home. And I actually never ended up becoming a contractor uh, for the government, never using my top secret clearance that I had while I was waiting for my um, clearance to kick in. And I was shopping my resume to his company. uh, I was walking through the mall and I was shopping with two of my friends and I saw the Paul Mitchell sign. Mm -hmm. And I said, Ooh, let me go, let me go in there and buy some shampoo. Right. You know, because I like the I like the tea tree shampoo and stuff. And I walked in thinking it was a store because it was inside Tyson's Corner Mall. Yeah. And I didn't expect to find out that when I walked in there it was a beauty school. Okay. And right away they grabbed me and they gave me a tour and they showed me all around the school thinking that they were gonna enroll me as a student.
0: And they're like be a student.
1: <laughs> they had no idea that I had yeah. already graduated from Paul right. Mitchell. And when I when I explained that to them, they were like, Well, what are you doing now? um i said well i'm going to you know unfortunately i'm not thinking about doing hair anymore they were like well when you were when you were doing hair and you went to school for it what were you doing i was like i was a barber they're like we don't have anybody here that can do any of the barbering or teach that could you come in and maybe do a class for us and i had never taught a class before yeah and i went in on a monday morning and i walked in there and i brought up one of the students out of the crowd and I cut his hair um, in front of all of them. There's probably about 100 people there. And they went crazy and they loved it. And they offered me a job to become an educator for Paul Mitchell. But I only had 1,200 hours from New Jersey. Ah. In Virginia, you need 1,500 hours. Oh, geez. So they hired me, but I didn't have enough hours to even get my instructor's exam license. Yeah. So I clocked in, I would work all day and then I'd clock back out and work all night. But in those 300 hours that I needed, I didn't get paid. I clocked in as a student and I, I got the 1500 hours. Wow. Then I went and took my test. I passed my written test. I passed my instructor exam. I got my license in Virginia and then I got my instructor license in Virginia. And then with Paul Mitchell, you have to go through all these levels of certification in different you know areas like cutting, color, texture. And so I did all of that and I worked at the school for 10 years and I became a member of the advanced Academy for barbering during that time. And I was training um, other educators and they call it a success coach where you'll go and you'll help people achieve different, uh, you know, levels of different areas. Right. So that was cool. Um, It was really hard working with Paul Mitchell because they were very strict. Yeah. As far as what you couldn't couldn't do, you know, it was their system and all that system, the cutting system was based off Sassoon. Right. So I learned a lot about how to work with different, you know, geometries and different, you know, uh, shapes, how to create, you know, different longer hairstyles. You know, so I learned how to cut hair with shears. Yeah. And how to break that down. Right. And that was something that I was fascinated by. We would host different guest artists at our school. Yeah. So I got to meet a lot of different people. Right. And one of the guys that came was this guy named DJ Muldoon. I don't know if you're familiar with him.
0: I am. Mm-hmm.
1: He he's an amazing hair cutter. Haircutting yeah. hair education is something that he breaks down.
0: Absolutely.
1: And he was the first person in our industry that made haircutting click for me. Like I was kind of lost until okay. he broke it down. You know, he's talking about distribution of weight and yeah. how, you know, it's where you're placing it and where you're removing it and how to, you know, create different effects with elevation and over direction. And so I learned all of that pretty much f- through my training at Paul Mitchell, but it really sunk in from DJ. DJ was the one who made it click for me. I do And, you know, that. I did. a Say it again.
0: I do like his style teaching.
1: Yeah, he, he breaks it down. I mean, you know, I, I got to s- I got to see him. Um even as a student before I started working for Paul Mitchell, they have a contest called Beacon and Beacon right. is it, at the time it, I think it was the the Salon Association or the PBA. I think it's I think it might be the PBA now. Um but that's an event that they would hold once a year. Yes. And basically like all these different icons in the hair industry would meet with the top students that had submitted entries uh and it was like this big symposium where you know they would show you all this history in hair. And, um, I actually entered that when I was a student and won and got picked and I was the only barber that got picked. Wow. And I think that's part of the reason why I stuck with the beauty side is because I got exposed to that world. I had no idea how big and beautiful the hair industry was until I went to Beacon at the year I went. Um, you know, Jay Downing. Yeah. 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 He was a student at the time and he was, one of the other guys out of, out of like a hundred, it was like me, him and two other guys. I had that, no that idea. Were,
0: huh.
1: He, he actually won as well. And I didn't realize it until years later when I was talking wow. to him yeah. about it. I didn't even, cause you know, we didn't know each other. You know, he came right. from Cleveland I came from Jersey, but at that event, I got to meet Vidal Sassoon. Wow. I got to meet Robert Labetta. I got to meet Christian, all these crazy Robert Cromie. all these crazy Vivian McKinder, Ruth Roach, all these crazy icons in our hair industry world that, you know, made me believe that it was something that I could do. And then they made me believe how, how powerful it was. Like, I didn't understand all that at the time, but like witnessing that, like they held it in San Francisco that year. And, um, that was like a, a changing point in my life. That was like a turning point in my life. That was one of them. Working at the salon was another one. Leaving New Jersey and going to Virginia was another one. Um, which was crazy because not everybody gets those opportunities to have such strong, powerful leaders, right. you know, in right. front of them. Hate. And and they were there for us. They wanted to connect with us. They wanted to, you know, share their stories. And so that was huge for me. Uh, so because of that, when I was an educator for Paul Mitchell, I would promote that contest yeah. and I would try to get students to win. And we had several students over the years win from our school but I also loved the fact that with Paul Mitchell, one of their main focuses was giving back and right. doing, you know, outreach, you know, different different uh, charities or nonprofits or, you know, just different things, fundraising for different groups and organizations. So I did that for a long time. I was a leader of that. And because I was organizing that. I would go and take the students who raised money to their big annual events in Vegas. And again, it was an opportunity for me to be on stage and work backstage and meet all these people. And it just opened so many more doors for me over the years, which was awesome. Because again, I'm this kid from New Jersey that (laughs) had never really seen much other than being in the military for a short amount of time, right? And now I'm not in the military, but I'm still seeing the world by going through with Paul Mitchell at this point, right? To these different places and meeting all these different people. And there's a huge difference we're the United States, but there's a huge difference of how people are in different parts of the United States yeah. and the styles yeah. that, that they, that they wear and represent. Right. Yeah. The hair is different, right? I'm like free. people do different, different styles, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I love that. I, I, am I consider myself somebody that is very open-minded and I'm a lifelong learner and I'm always trying to like learn new things to make myself more dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so I, being exposed to all these different things is something that's helped me, you know, grow behind the chair and, and grow, uh, I guess, creatively. Right. Um, then what happened? I, uh, towards my last few years of working at Paul Mitchell, I was getting bored with the fact that I was in the school all the time and I got bored and missed, I missed the fact that I wasn't behind the chair. Right. And so I started to go behind the chair one day a week and then work in in the school, you know, the rest of the week. And then it was two days and then it was three days and then it was four days to eventually I didn't really have much time left uh, to work at the school like I used to because I had built up so much clients when I, you know, towards towards the end. The um, last. I would say two to three years, actually, last three years that I was at Paul Mitchell. I did sales and operations. So I started learning the other side of the industry, you know, how right. to operate, you know, I was the one that was in, in charge of all the inventory. I mean, from a paperclip at the front desk to like a tube of color, to like shampoo, to right. like bottles of retail, you know, <laughs> I I received everything. Yeah. And I assumed that role, I assumed that role not because I I wanted to do that. I assumed that role because the person at the time who was in charge of doing it sucked. And they weren't doing it, and I was tired right. of being out of everything. Right. So I took it over. Yeah. I took that like, over, I and I was good at you. it. <laughs> it just saved me. It was easier for me to do it. Yeah. Than to to talk to the person about why they didn't do it.
0: Yeah.
1: You know. For sure, for and sure. and so so out in, again out of desperation, I got into that side. Uh, when I left Paul Mitchell, I um. In the middle, I I left for about a year and I actually ran a a Paul Mitchell salon. I was a director of a Paul Mitchell focus salon in Maryland. Yeah. And, you know, when you run a salon, you manage people. And sometimes the people that were working there were not on the bus or on the same team as, you know, the owner of the salon and the people that wanted to be there. Right. And so part of the reason why they hired me was because they were failing. Okay. And they needed to make changes. Right. And so it couldn't come from the owner. It had to come from me. Right. And so when I when I started working there, I let go a bunch of people. Yeah. And I brought on a bunch of people. And right. I interviewed a bunch of people. And I got that experience of of an owner. Right. Yeah. Not just an owner of a school and working a corporate Paul Mitchell kind of thing, but an owner of an actual salon. Right. That had all the Paul Mitchell systems. But now we're dealing with stylists and their their emotions, clientele and yeah. their emotions. It's a lot. <laughs> um, Some people that are not, you know, like I said, they're not on the bus. They might be a little cancerous. They yeah. had to go. Yeah. So I had to fire people. That was crazy. And I did that for a while. And that ended up being a great experience for me. I ended up leaving and going back to New Jersey after that because, again, that was something that, you know, Again, it was really hard, but I, I was missing, I I had so many different things going on in my life. I already, I was already a father at this point. I wasn't with my, with their mom at this point. Yeah. And so I needed support from my family and I needed to go back and find myself. And I went back to New Jersey for that year. That was in 2011. Yeah. So from like 2006 to 2010, I was at Paul Mitchell. So those four years I was working at the school in Virginia, 2011, 2000, th- 2010, I was working as a um, salon director in a salon at, at a Paul Mitchell focus salon in Maryland. When that ended, I went back to New Jersey for one year and I was an educator at the school that I graduated from okay. in New Jersey. And I got to learn a whole lot there. And I, I did a lot of cool stuff with, you know, Parisian beauty Academy. And, um, But that was a tough year for me, Brooke, because I wasn't getting a chance to see my kids, my older two kids, Kira and Joseph, as much as I liked because of the distance between Virginia and New Jersey. Um, So that year sucked in that respect as to why I moved back. And when I came back, they didn't have a position for me as an educator. They hired me to do sales and operations. And so the last few years that I was at the school, that's what I did Um, at the at the same time, you know. I had become a member of the advanced Academy for Paul Mitchell yeah. at the same time, Hanzo came and did a guest artist class at yeah. our school. And I think it, I think it was Roby and Justin Thomas. And that I think Sean San. <laughs> there was only a few, there was like, I think at the time there was like less than five Hanzo educators. Uh-huh. Like it was the very beginning of Hanzo Yeah, and they came in and did a class. And my wife, Dina, convinced me to buy a pair of shears that day. <laughs> and I didn't want to buy them cuz they were expensive. Yeah. And I ended up getting them because she was like, "Shut up, you you got to nice. get them." There's... And I And I and I ended up getting them. Yep. And and they she was like, "I got to introduce you to these guys. You would be perfect to do classes with them, right?" And I think this was like 2013 around there. Yeah. Right around the time Instagram was getting big and you know That's
0: when i started um, within the hanzo world
1: was around two. the same year right yeah yep yeah you yeah you were one of the first people that i worked with um yeah. roby uh was the first person to actually believe in me and bring me out to do classes yeah. at the time and i had my hanzo shears for like a year and a half almost before i started teaching right classes for them right and The first like tour of classes that I did was in Portland, Oregon with him. And I did a Paul Mitchell school and like the first three or four classes that I taught as an independent contractor for Hanzo was damage control. I had to repair relationships that were messed up by somebody prior to me being there. Right. Okay. It was like, because of my Paul Mitchell background, you know, because I'm a homegrown Paul Mitchell person, I was able to save those relationships and go out there on on the West Coast and, you know, kind of clean up that mess a little bit. Yeah. And that was like my first experience, my first my first year or two with Hanzo. I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was learning. I was like learning on the job. I did a lot of shows. I did a lot of stage work and stuff like all the big shows like Chicago, New York, you know, Orlando, all those Long Beach, all those shows I got to do. But what the funny thing is, like they didn't really they didn't really care that I was using a lot of clippers. like i was I was using a lot of clippers in my classes and like in these shows. And they didn't, sell and they didn't really ca- <laughs> They didn't sell clippers. They didn't really care about that. Yeah, but then it, then I started to realize like that wasn't that was only because I didn't understand how to use the shears that well. So I wasn't confident in using the shears. And the more that I learned from other educators, you know, and other other people, you know, that was working with me, the more my confidence grew with using the shears to now 80% of what I do is with the shears, right. Oh. And so you you fast forward, you know, all these years of, of doing the independent education, and it really toughens you up, right? This the the schedule, um, being the traveling, the unknown, walking yeah. into a place and not knowing who what kind of hair you're going to work on, That's and great. being ready to teach in front of you know, 50 people or three people, or three. right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, and at no cost, right. Yeah. And, and just like, hoping that we connect that those dots there and have that good experience that relationship, you know, um, I it definitely toughened me up. I, I've been with Hanzo as an educator for what, uh, almost 10 years now. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, you know, you go through your life's not a straight line, you know, you go through peaks and valleys, you go through ups and downs, And um are you hearing these like pings? Are they coming through on you too?
0: Nope. I'm not okay
1: cool. Cause (laughs) yeah, I I keep getting text messages and
0: there's uh, people your attention apparently.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're (laughs) trying um but yeah, no, so then I came down. Um I met my wife in Paul Mitchell. Like I said, uh she we started out as friends and she tried setting me up on a date with her Ah, friend, and I was working day school and night school. So by the time I got out, it was like eleven o'clock at night. Yeah. And by the time I got to where they were at to hang out, her friend was passed out drunk. So I didn't get a chance to really talk to her. And then I ended up hanging out with my wife and hanging out with her and her family. And I fell in love with them. Yeah. And then one night I was hanging out with her and I was leaving, and I was on her front steps at her parents' house. And some reason, as I was walking away, I stopped and I turned around and I kissed her on her front steps. <laughs> and then we like looked at each other like it was all weird. And then like then I just left and walked and got in my car. Right. The
0: rest is history.
1: <laughs> well, I, I dated her for a while and then I asked her parents if it would be cool if I could propose to her. Yeah. And I sat down and had dinner with them and her mom was like talking about all these different things. And I couldn't pay attention to anything she was saying. And because the whole time I'm sitting there, like just waiting for them to just give me a chance to ask them permission if I can marry their daughter. (laughs) And so I like, so she's like, are you okay? I I just had no clue what she was talking about. She was just talking, talking. And I had no idea what she was saying. And so then I asked their permission and her dad was like, you sure you want to do that? Because he was like concerned for me. You know, he was concerned that I didn't know he didn't know he was concerned that I didn't know what I was getting. Are you sure you
0: want to put yourself in that position, Rory?
1: (laughs) That's what he told me. And I was like, yes. And so um, I ended up proposing to her on the same steps in front of her her parents' house. Um, One day she she came home from work and I was there and I had her mom in the bushes and like her sister in the bushes. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, I proposed, to, I proposed to her right there. Amazing. Uh, we got engaged, we got engaged. We, you know, we were living in a condo together. Um, you know, we got married. It was an amazing wedding. Uh, and then the biggest year of my life was 2017. And in 2017, we were already pregnant with Luna, right? So yeah. she was nine months pregnant with Luna. In April of 2017, we ended up selling our condo moving and she, again, she's nine months pregnant. So I had to move everything myself. Right. We moved everything from our condo. We sold our condo and we bought our townhouse that we live in now yeah. and we moved everything over. Right. Yeah. We took everything from our business and we, we were renting, like you ever been to like salon lofts or like those hey, sweet yeah. style places, right. we yeah. were renting a double suite for three years. Right. Yeah, and so we moved everything from there to our new location where we're at now, which is a commercial space on the second floor, a lot bigger. It's yeah. private. Um, we ended up moving everything upstairs to that second floor, and we built it out. Uh, all the furniture, knocked down a wall, put in a sliding glass door, redid all the flooring. We did all of these things, and we delivered our daughter that same month. So wow. it was sell our condo buy our townhouse, leave our business, build and build out our new business right. and have our kid all in the same month. And so because of that,
0: We're bigger, going um, home.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that was crazy. Um, and now we've been here six years and, yes. you know, uh, this year, like, you know, obviously 2019 was a big year for us, but right. then COVID happened and it kind of kicked our ass a little bit. And then, now we're going into 2024. And, you know, again, things happen when they're, when they're supposed to happen. Right. I, I signed the deal with wall uh, in September to be an educator for them. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, that was a huge one for me because with wall um, I've been using their clippers since day one, since you I, you know, I was stolen. a little kid. <laughs> yeah. So my first pair was stolen and yeah. I, I'm proud of that. Um, but now I got a chance to learn from the wall education and oh. and to become an educator focusing on more of the clipper work, that's you know? Amazing. So I feel really good about that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a great, great um, opportunity for me. I'm excited. I got to meet everybody. I've done already two trainings with them and yeah. we have another one coming up in March, but that's my focus for 2024 is to do more travel education and, yeah. um, and also host at my place because we have a room where we can seat a good amount of people in a stage oh. where we can host educators as well, all our friends. So yeah, you're definitely welcome, Brooke, to come out um, and, and set something up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It
1: would be awesome. So yeah, we got that. Um, what else? We got a puppy this year. So we have a 10 month old puppy uh, yes. named Betty White.
0: I lo- Did you say Betty? White? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Betty White. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what, what kind of we dog? Ha-
1: <laughs> She's half shih tzu, half yorkie. I love her. Uh she's she's a special special puppy. Um
0: That's how I feel about <laughs> our puppy. Jamie and I got a puppy and we're like, yeah, this is probably what our kid would be like. <laughs> he's
1: yeah yeah she she acts like a baby
0: adorable and an absolute terror
1: (laughs) yeah 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 oh yeah trust me it's a lot of work make no mistake she she's a terrorist she'll she'll destroy stuff if you're not paying attention to her
0: he loves to chew stuff up uh he is and he's a palm cheese so he can be he's a little guy too but Listen, I have absolutely loved sitting here, listening to this evolution of your story. Like um, some things I've heard before and some things I hadn't heard before. Um, And I, I love how you kind of bring it back to like, I had to make those changes. I had to go through those uncomfortable moments. I had to, uh, I really that part where you're like, I had to leave everything that I knew so that I could be something new. Right. I had to make that, that huge jump. And I think that a lot of times people are afraid to make those shifts in their life because it's comfort, right? And I, I always say nothing great comes from comfort zones, and a lot of beautiful things lay on the other side of fear, you know. So if you, I, I like that you weave those kind of principles in and out of your story in a very, in such an authentic way that people can understand that when I say that, when I teach that, and and what I teach, it's not fluff, right? It really is a way right. to live in order for you to continue to evolve. And by following those principles, you've you've done some amazing things. And I know one of the things that I want to make sure that we touch on is um you've you've had your online education. and yes. uh, I mentioned, you know before we started here that like uh, you've been ahead of the curve on online education. I've known about your online c- education for years. Um, I know it's something that's been a passion project of yours, but moving into this world where online education is actually really, really transformative now because of what COVID did and allowed us to kind of open up that space. Um, you mentioned kind of revamping that. So if people were wanting to get in touch with your online education, what's the best way for them to do
1: that? Uh, we're a faded, faded F-A-D-E-D dream D-R-E-A-M studios. So FadedDreamStudios.com We have over 100 training videos on there uh, All different types of hair Cool thing about the online education is You can pick and choose what you want to watch. You don't have to watch the entire haircut. You can pick and choose what you want to focus on based on tool and technique. So if clippers are not your, you know, if clippers are not your forte and you want to focus on clipper work, you can pick and choose just those parts of that video. So you don't have to watch the entire haircut and it's broken down that way. So each video is like one to three minutes and it shows whatever tool and technique we're focusing on for that portion of the haircut. I know that you know, watching videos on haircutting sometimes is boring because it's like a 40 minute or an hour long straight video.
0: Right. And
1: I wanted to make it easier for the person who is trying to learn to be able to pick and choose what they want. You can watch, you know, just the parts at the very end of each video of different right. models, you know, instead of having to watch the whole haircut. Um, we're going to be updating the site. We're in the process of doing that. And we are uh, adding new content Okay. Dude, I've, I'm like blowing up here. I keep like <laughs> taking off all these notifications. Anyway, I'm sorry about that. It's okay. um, yeah, and, and anybody can reach out to me too. The best way to to get in contact with me is through Instagram at Faded Inc. Yep. F-A-D-E-D-I-N-C, not I-N-K. Um, There are probably about 50 plus fake accounts of different people using that name. Really? Uh, so yeah, it's pretty wild. I'm the blue check one. I'm the verified I'm one. I'm the blue check uh, so yeah, just, and, and the reason why I say that is, um, anybody that reaches out to me, I get back to them right away. You know, I'm a real person, you know, if somebody needs anything, you know, just message me. And, uh, you know, if I don't see it, you know, just keep at it, uh, because I will get back to you. I'm here for everybody. I'm not that busy where I can't, you know, uh, answer questions or help people in what other areas that they're, you know, concerned with or struggling with. And sometimes people do things that, They've they that they're proud of and they want me to see it. So I love seeing people's work.
0: Perfect. I love that. I love that you shared that. I, I know that I like I said, I've had the honor to be able to spend time with you face to face. I've watched you teach. I've hosted you. We've hung out in those, um, you know, class runs together Um, during my time. Honzo. um, I know that you truly love this industry and your passion for helping others you know you you brought up along the way today but for those of the but for those of our listeners who don't know you personally, can you share, you know, simply just kind of in your words, what drives you, what keeps you grounded and balanced, especially as your schedule is crazy? You know, I, I kind of in saying that want to say, you know, you, you're like, I make time for people. Right. So to me, that's a big part of what does keep you balanced. You may have that human connection, but like what in your worlds, sorry, in your words, um, keeps you that human connection.
1: Um, my family is my motivation, right? So everything I do is, it's got to secure a future for them. It has to be something that is worthwhile for me to focus my time there. So making sure that anything that I do, I ask myself the question, how is this going to benefit my family? I also want to be the one that brings value to whatever situation I'm in, right? So if I'm involved in something, what value am I bringing to that equation, right? And those are things that I think about. I think you can't operate um, at a high level if you don't have your home life, your family life in check. And it's very difficult to perform if your home life needs work. So yeah. I focus a lot on my family and making sure that I'm present as much as I can be. Uh, I'm always, when I have free moments and I am on the road, that I try to FaceTime or call and touch base with my family. Uh I try to limit the amount of time that I'm away when I don't have to be, yeah. you know, and I try to make sure that I schedule things because me and my wife have a calendar that we share Yeah. so I can see when she has things and she can see when I have things. So we have like a family calendar and that helps me a lot because if I schedule time for not to work, like yeah. I'll schedule family things in there too. So my calendar is not just professional, but it's also personal. Right. And it's, and that's helped me, Communication wise, you know, keeps everything, you know, organized. And I think that's one of the bigger things when you're busy and you, you do, I have three children, you know, so for me, you know, there's always something going on. And if I don't have it organized and scheduled and I don't, I'll get in trouble.
0: Just simply put, right? (laughs) I'll
1: get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I I attribute a lot of the things that I'm able to do by having a good partner. My wife helps me in all the areas that I'm not good at. She's strong at, you know. And so we balance each other. And I think that's important to find somebody that you know is a like a counter to what you are. Right. Like finding strength in things that you're weak in within that person, and vice versa. For
0: sure. I love that. Um, So thank you for sharing. I think that having that, not only that family dynamic, and um, I, again, I appreciate you touched on that because to me, it's about balance. It's not just balance within your career, but really ultimately balance in your personal life is what's going to bring balance into your career. And if one of those things is swinging too far one way or the other, then it's, it's really hard for them to work together against each other. Um, so closing question, um, what I I like to do on my podcast is, um, as you're also a stylist and I'm a stylist, it's on a mission of sharing mindset and, um, I know self-care and like you said, your family is a form of self-care. Um, I'd love for you to share with our listeners, um, outside of what you just did. Are there some other practices that you do for yourself, um, both personally, Um, whether it be uh, meditation or yoga or, you know, working out um, that you help to protect your own peace, but then also what you kind of do in the salon when you have um, guests that um, are a little more stressful. Is there practices that you have to kind of protect your space, personal space?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to, one of the things that I like to do is I like to listen to books. So okay. I try to listen to like an hour a day of huh. books that I'm interested in. It could be, and it's all professional development. It's like yeah. finance or family or, you know, mindset and things like that. Things that, you know, I'm interested in topics that I'm interested in. And I try to do at least an hour a day. Okay. Um, I know that's a lot for some people, but, you know, each like I have this app called Headway that I use that. Yeah. It's like summaries. So it's like 15-minute summaries of the entire book. And some of the books I've actually read physically. And so when I listen to the summaries, it reinforces that. As far as – and that's something for professional development that helps me. Um, I'm I'm always looking for –
0: You said headway? Yeah, it's
1: called – Yeah, I could send you a link to that. Um, But it's cool because you don't have to listen to the entire book. It gives you chapter summaries. It's like cliff notes. Yeah. And so I've I've burned through like sixty books in a few weeks. You know, and it's it's pretty cool. It helps it helps me. Um, and I listen to it over again. Like I have a library of them now that I've read. And so if I like something, I'll go back and listen to it again. Um, so I have those curated. Yeah. Uh, And as far as like working with my guests, you know, I'm pretty pretty good on that. I've been working with the same people for a long period of time and I always set the new people that are coming in if I do take somebody new um they understand, you know, the do's and don'ts, you know, mm-hmm. the time, the respect of my time, the respect of their time, um the service that I provide and you know, those kind of things are set from the very beginning. Right. I don't think that's always the case for people when they're starting out and yeah. at the level that I'm at now, it's kind of like automatic. Right. But you know, you have to, for people that don't have that and people that are trying to like build a clientele and set up, you know, best practices and trying to make sure that, you know, they they set expectations for themselves and their guests. Yeah. I would say to be very clear on appointment time and yeah. grace period and sure. service charges, like how much things cost, yeah. just be very clear and open with that from the very beginning. And are are you going to make exceptions here and there? Yeah. But I think, you know, which clients you need to fire and which clients you, you hold high. Right. And you know, who's going to stress you out and take years off your life. Right. and Those who are actually, those who actually make you feel good after a service. Not all money is good money. Right. Um, I think there's, I always say that, I always say there's three types of money. You've got uh, old money, new money and no money. Right. So like, old money is your clients that come on a consistent basis. They tip, they don't require a whole lot, right? Then young money is the clients that are like, they may be require a little more and they may be a little less inconsistent, right? And then no money is the clients that you're doing because of the art. You want to create something. You're not really looking for the money. You're looking for being able to have that creative outlet and do more wild things, right? Maybe for photo shoots or for social media. That is like no money, right? right? And once you put that out there, that becomes money because whatever you put out there, you attract, right? Yeah. So your work is a reflection of what you're putting out there. What yeah. you watch and see on social media is a reflection of yourself and what you're interested in because it's going to keep feeding you more of that, right? So be careful what you wish for kind of thing, right? Be careful yeah. what you post yeah. kind of thing because yeah. I, I made the mistake of posting little kids and then all of a sudden everybody's moms, you wants, got to, tell dads, wants to bring me there. So you just got to be clear on what you're trying to attract. And sometimes you're trying to attract clients that don't necessarily know about you or don't necessarily want those kind of services. And that's when you do them for free. So you can get the the photo or the video to attract more of what you want to actually do.
0: Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that wisdom and um, also definitely that piece about, you know, when you're figuring out what your niche is that's great but once you figure out what that is then take time to post that because energy flows where energy goes for sure
1: yeah and it's not always the same either it changes right
0: yeah it can change and shift as we change and shift so right awesome i really love this conversation i always enjoy um talking to you i definitely want to take you up on coming out to your studio class in 2024 that would be so fun um, and we'll keep everybody in the loop on that. Um, just, I, I want to recap, cause I know we already kind of talked about it, but it's fadeddreamstudios.com is your website faded. Yep. And that's like faded incorporated I N C not I N K. And it's the one with the blue check to make sure that <laughs> you Rory. Um, I really appreciate you taking this time to hang out with us today. And, um, I can't wait to, to see you soon.
1: Take yeah, care. thank you so much, Brooke, and congratulations on the podcast and everything that you're doing.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right. We'll talk All right.
1: soon. <laughs>
0: thank you for tuning in to the Grounded Stylist podcast. Remember, your journey is not just about creating outer beauty, but also about nurturing your inner self. So keep aligning your energy, embracing your uniqueness, and cultivating your dream career in life. This is Brooke Kenyon, your guide and coach. Until next time, stay grounded, protect your peace, and live in love and life.